So we get there and it's absolute chaos. It is pure chaos. People are running out of the hospital. There's loud noises going on. Um, we didn't even get out of the car. We kind of just pulled up and we saw people running out. We could hear loud noises. We could hear gunshots. We could hear blasts. Welcome to War Docs. This show brings you a firsthand behind the scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of military physicians. From state-of-the-art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. I'm your host, Dr. Doug Soderdahl, retired Army urologist, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Dr. Wayne Causey, active duty vascular surgeon. On this episode of War Docs, we are privileged to welcome Dr. Ali Tarabi. He is a graduate of the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences, and after finishing an anesthesiology residency at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and fellowship in pain medicine, Dr. Tarabi was assigned to Landstuhl Army Regional Medical Center in Germany, where he was also deployed to Afghanistan. He is currently in the U.S. Army Reserves and works as the Chief of Pain Medicine at Good Samaritan Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. You can read his full bio at wardoxpodcast.com. Welcome to Wardox. It's a pleasure to have Dr. Ali Tarabi on the podcast this evening. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So we know that you trained in anesthesia. First assignment, feel like you were prepared? I think I was fairly prepared. Uh, I trained at Walter Reed, um, and it was a time when we were getting a lot of trauma. And my first assignment was in Launchstuhl, Germany where we also got a lot of trauma. So I think it did prepare me. Initially, it was kind of a shock when I started training to see kind of all the amputations and IEDs and blast injuries and gunshot injuries. And so I think I, I was pretty fairly prepared when I got to Launchstool. Tell us about your most memorable case from a deployment. Yeah, so this is actually um, a really interesting case. So uh, I was deployed to a base in Kabul, Afghanistan called Hkaya, which is the Hamid Karzai International Airport. It's a Turkish-run NATO base. There's a lot of all different um, countries there. Uh, there's Brits, there's Hungarians, there's Romanians, there's Czechs, there's just just uh, Aussies. There's just all different different uh, cultures all over the base. And we had a small hospital with two operating rooms and a small surgical team. The hospital was run by Americans, but it was staffed by Aussies and Czechs and Hungarians and Romanians. So we had two operating rooms. The one operating room that was the American operating room had a general surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon, an anesthesiologist. And the other operating room was a Czech surgical team. So we would take call every other night. And then um, because there weren't enough doctors, we would also take call in the ER. So as an anesthesiologist, I was also covering the ER. This case was really kind of crazy because um, one of the one of our own nurses from who was from a different country. One night, uh, we someone found a, a Facebook post from her. She was distraught and she had posted basically what looked like to be a suicide note. So we went to her room, which was across the where the hospital was, where our barracks was. It, you know, knocked on the door, couldn't get in. Then they had to kind of break down the door and they found her unconscious uh, on the floor of the room. Uh, we took her back to the hospital, um, kind of had no idea what was going on, what, what, what she had done. It seemed like she had taken something, some kind of medication, but we weren't exactly sure what happened. And, and I actually, I mean, we all knew who this person was because it was part of someone, part of our team. Uh, it's a different experience when you take care of someone you know. So what did you think was going on? Somebody found a, um, a bottle in the room 
that was um, labeled digoxin. So we didn't have digoxin on our formula. Digoxin is a heart failure medication usually used in the environment of uh, you know, elderly people with heart failure, which we weren't really treating. This digoxin medication was left over from that time period when the French had run the hospital. So the, the major problem that we had was that we didn't have the antidote, which is called Digibind. So we were kind of giving her supportive care, but we were really just trying to get the Digibind. We were looking at our formulary. We were calling different hospitals throughout the region trying to find this antidote, which is Digibind, to potentially save this person's life. So we, you know, we called, we were in Kabul. We called Bagram, which is the big base. They didn't have it. We called Harat. They did have it, which is surprising because it was a small base, super far away. It was like three, four hours by flight. And then there was another couple bottles in Camp Leatherneck, which is also kind of random. We needed 10 vials of this stuff. Um, and we, we ended up shelling together about five vials of it, which was still taking time to get there. So we decided, let's, let's call the local hospital in Kabul. Let's call them and see if they have Digibind. So there's basically one big hospital in Kabul, Kabul called the Sardar Khan Hospital. Like if anybody's going to have it, these guys are going to have it. So obviously communication is, is a, a big issue there. So we call them, just really hard to get it, communicate properly, whatever. So I, I decided to call. My background is from India and I speak Urdu. So in Afghanistan, you, the main language is, is Pashto um, or Dari. But a lot, of, which I was surprised to find out, a lot of Afghanis do speak Urdu because of the proximity to Pakistan. And also because they love Bollywood movies. That's what they get. They get Bollywood a lot there. So a lot of them, like probably 50% or 70% of Afghanis actually speak Urdu. So I was able to communicate with a lot of the Afghanis there, you know, just around the, around the base, which was kind of a unique experience too. So I was able to call, able to talk to somebody at the hospital. It seemed like they did have it. It was still, the communication was still not there. But it did seem like they did have the, the medication, Digibind. So this all kind of was going on. We were still kind of taking care of her. And we were searching for this medication throughout kind of all the areas in Afghanistan. And she was getting arrhythmias. She was, we were, we, she was getting the, the symptoms related to what you would expect from digoxin toxicity. She was getting sicker. And we really were kind of uh, worried. And we wanted to get this as quickly as possible. So we decided, you know, as, a, as our, our medical team decided... Somebody needs to go pick up this medication from the hospital. And, and this, is, this hospital is not very far away from our base. It's about five to 10 miles away. We're kind of right on the outskirts of the city, and that hospital is in the city. And so it's, there's a lot of procedures that need to happen for you to go outside the wire and go into the city. You can't just walk out and get a cab and go to the hospital. So we had to get approval first. You know, we came up with this plan. We need to get it. And uh, we had to get approval first. And initially, they, they just said no. They, initially, they just said, no, nope, it's not going to happen. So we, we asked for kind of a meeting with the general of the base. Again, it's the Turkish general. And our emotions were kind of running high. And our, our general surgeon was, he was, he was really angry. He was really angry for, for them for denying this request. He basically just laid it out. He said, you have to let us go. She's going to die if you don't go. So they did. So they finally, they approved it. And this is kind of, we need to make sure that we get the right medication and we need someone who can communicate. And so I was really the only person that could do, understand what medication we needed and also communicate with them. The surgeon kind of asked me like, Hey, you know, 
are you willing to do this? And I was like, of course, of course, this is, this is easy. We can, we can make this happen. You know, I'm, I'm happy to go pick this medication up. We get approval. We, um, we get like a kind of like an SUV and I get two security uh, forces guys to come uh, with me. And they basically they're driving and they're, and they're doing the security. So the, so around, uh, you know, kind of four or 5 a.m., we start to prepare. We start to get our kind of equipment together to go, you know, this 10 miles that was not very far. We ended up heading out around 8 a.m. the next day. So this is probably about 12 hours or so. So the next day we go, we're heading out, we get into the vehicle, we're uh, driving. Again, it's, it's a, it takes longer than you would expect in Kabul to get anywhere just because there's a bunch of checkpoints and a lot of different um, kind of traffic issues that you have to get through. So we get there and it's absolute chaos. It is pure chaos. People are running out of the hospital. There's loud noises going on. We didn't even get out of the car. We kind of just pulled up and we saw people running out. We could hear loud noises. We could hear gunshots. We could hear blasts. Um, we weren't there for very long. It was just, I mean, it was chaotic. It was the most chaotic experience of my life. It, I was like, I just had no idea what was going on. We called back. We're like, what is going on here? And like, so what, what happened was, um, we found out that, uh, on March 8th, there was an attack on that hospital by ISIS is, um, it's called the Sardar Khan hospital. It's one of the biggest hospitals. It's the, probably the biggest hospital in Kabul. And there was an attack where basically the, uh, the terrorists dressed up like doctors and they, they went into the hospital and started blowing stuff up and shooting people. And so that, that happened on March 8th and, um, we were right in front of the hospital as it was going on. It started at around 9 a.m. and that's kind of right when we were getting there. So we basically turned around the car and we're like, we can't go in. Um, it's not safe to go in. And we turned around the car and we, we started driving back. We got back to, um, the, uh, we got back to the base and we found, you know, we turned on the news and we could see what was going on, um, that this attack had happened, uh, at the hospital. And then immediately we started preparing for a mass trauma event because we were the closest surgical hospital there. So it was just like, it was just like constant of things going on, you know, just you know, like adrenaline constantly pumping. Like I've never had such an experience like this where I just no sleep for 24 hours and this kind of crazy kind of experience going on. So during the Moscow from the hospital, what happened to the nurse who overdosed on the digoxin? Yeah, so so um, so we got back and we're you know we're giving her supportive therapy and and she started getting kind of severe arrhythmia. So we basically had um, we basically didn't have enough digibind. We started as the little amount of digibind that we could. We had you know transcutaneous pacing and that's what we did. We put transcutaneous pacers on her. We got her directly on a flight to Kuwait where they did have digibind is long flight, six to eight hours with the transcutaneous pacing. She was able to make it there. They were really good with the digibind and she survived. Did you eventually figure out how she originally got the digoxin that she took? It's an old hospital, old French hospital. It was a kind of a smart move on her part as far as if you're, what, what you're going to use because I think she knew that there was no antidote to it. Um, but it, it certainly did cause uh, some... <laughs> Some major issues. We're thankful. I'm really thankful that she she did well, survived, and she made it home. Did you have any other memorable experiences from that deployment? From the deployment, I think going to uh, one of the bases and having a huge ice cream sundae. Um, hadn't had that for like a while, and it was like just so good. 
I think a lot of people would echo your sentiment in regards to the ice cream while being on a deployment. Tell us about some stories you had when you were in Germany at Lahnstuhl, particularly when receiving casualties from battlefield. Yeah, so, you know, Germany is also kind of a unique place because uh, we obviously take care of Americans. We had a lot of Americans come through for a short period of time, but we also take care of a lot of the NATO countries. And because some of the countries that are in uh, NATO or, or just kind of coalition countries, they, they don't have as much resources as we do. So we ended up taking care of them for longer periods of time. For instance, we would get like an IED patient, trauma patient, and we would be taking care of them. If it's American, then probably within a week, we would get them back to Bamsi or Walter Reed. Whereas it, when we had like patients that were Georgian patients from the country of Georgia, they would stay with us for like a month at a time, month to two months, because they just couldn't go back there. So it was um it was really interesting kind of experience because we got to I got to take care of a lot of different countries other than Americans as well. Do you have any other memorable stories from your military career that you might find interesting? Yeah, I got a when I first got to launch stool, my chief of anesthesia, who you know when you're first right out of residency, you know your chief of anesthesia is like a god. You want to really impress him and do a good job. So um, we had a party at our house. And uh, just like right at the bottom as a joke, I put in there, you know, this is a costume party. And I forgot about it. And a couple of weeks went by and nobody really thought it was serious. Um, but my chief of anesthesia showed up in a full Star Trek gown, Star Trek outfit. And his wife was really angry because both of them showed up in Star Trek. That wasn't their normal attire? <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> what would you give as uh, advice to a young, just out of their residency anesthesiologist getting ready to deploy? So everything, you know, everything can be scary, um, but, you know, you just kind of work through it. And as long as you can know yourself and know that you can get through that fear, then you'll, you'll do fine. And nothing's as bad as it, uh, uh, nothing's ever as bad as it seems. Um, and sometimes you'll get ice cream. What advice would you give to someone who's 25 years old that was considering the military as an option for their medical career? I think it's awesome. I think, um, you know, anybody can be a doctor, but it takes a special person to, to be a, a military doctor because you've got to do it with limited resources. If you are at all adventurous, if you uh, at all have that kind of drive to, to be able to do something difficult and challenge yourself, then, um, then I think you should do it. If you had, you know, one thing to say to relatives of yours 50 to 100 years from now, what would you want them to know about your legacy as a military physician? I would say I would want them to know it was it was hard. It was it was a difficult thing to do, um, especially for someone who didn't have that kind of experience. But I still did it. And I think it was a really great experience. And uh, I think you should always challenge yourself and not just kind of stay inside your box. Tell us what is unique about being a pain medicine physician, anesthesiologist in the military compared to, say, other anesthesia anesthesiologists in the military. Yeah, so what's unique is that we get to see the acute kind of trauma as a, as a general anesthesiologist, and then there's the chronic pain that people develop typically, you know, after a, an IED blast, or the phantom limb pain, stump pain, those types of kind of chronic pains, and you get to treat those. Um, those can be very extremely debilitating and cause uh, kind of a lot of discomfort. So we have some, as far as research goes, we, we've got some great concepts and treatments coming out that 
um, we haven't had in the past. And those things are really kind of advancing very quickly. Is there anything in particular that if you had, you know, funding wasn't an issue and they said, we're, we're going to support whatever research you want towards something that will improve battlefield care and anesthesia, what would you, what would you choose? I would probably, pay, I would say phantom limb pain. Phantom limb pain is, is one of the most difficult things to treat. Um, you, you're a vascular surgeon, so you, I'm sure you see that quite a bit as well. But yeah, that, 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 you know, traumatic and, and, uh, also kind of vascular complications related to, um, dump pain and phantom limb pain are extraordinarily difficult to treat. Um, I see it a lot here in Baltimore in my civilian job as well. Um, and I, you know, I wish we had an easy answer to it, but if we had a, a big, if I had that kind of a, full ride of research money. That's what probably I would study. So since you're a pain medicine physician, did you use your skills in addition to being a general anesthesiologist on a deployment? Yeah, I did. I, um, I started a little pain clinic while I was in Kabul and I, I believe it is the first pain clinic in Kabul, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of people just had just chronic back pain and, um, I did, you know, we did a couple epidurals for them. Um, and did what we could as far as uh, treating them for uh, their chronic medical conditions. We just want to thank you for your time. Today we had uh, Dr. Ali Tarabi on Wardocs Podcast. Appreciate your stories and insights. Thank you for the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Wardocs Military Medical Podcast. We sure hope you enjoyed it. We invite you to subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and a five-star review and share this with your contacts on social media. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find out more information about our show and our guests at our website, wardoxpodcast.com. That's wardoxpodcast, one word, dot com. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardox has you covered. Spread the word.